Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlay, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, August the 16th, 2020. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. We're out there. We're on it. If you want to interact with me personally, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Well, welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this pretty gloomy and dreary Sunday. Pretty appropriate after the three-game series in Philadelphia. The Mets, just uh, just about 20 minutes or so ago, having been swept by the Phillies in the three-game set. Former Met Zach Wheeler putting the cap on the series with the sweep. And uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of gloom and doom on various uh, social media outlets that Mets fans will frequent. Uh, today, though, what we're going to focus on here in the podcast 
And joining me, you guys know him. He used to be the beat writer for The Record, uh, covering the Mets. He was also part of the Yahoo Sports Venture that covered the Mets last year. He's now uh, with NBC Sports Regional Network, my team's app. He knows the Mets, uh, has covered the team for a long time, and he and I like to uh, have some fun debate on Twitter. Matty Holt will be joining me in just a couple of minutes. We actually had a chance to catch up right before the Mets took on the Phillies this afternoon, so uh, I had a chance to talk to Matt, oh, about two hours or so before the game, so just keep that in mind when uh, we go to break and we come back. It was a conversation from earlier today. So where do I stand? I I mean, nothing really, in my opinion, has changed about this team and my thoughts. You know, we talked a lot about it. We had two podcasts this week with the emergency podcast over the Stroman opt-out. With a team who's pitching now employs a four or five starter as as a core top of the rotation starter in Porcello and options six, seven, eight becoming options three, four, five. Uh, this is the kind of stuff you're going to see. You're going to see uh, uh, losing streaks spiral. Uh, you're going to see them play well and tease you, and you're going to see them uh, not play well and get you down like this weekend. And I think you saw a little bit of both of that throughout this week. Uh, this is a 500 team. I said that earlier in the week. The starting pitching is not good enough to be more than that. And and I think that's kind of what you're looking at. Uh, and, and if they don't hit at a high level, uh, and, and if, God forbid, they have a bad bullpen game, it makes things even that harder for them. So nothing more, nothing less. you know. And, and in, a, in a league that's going to see 50% of the teams make the playoffs— uh, I'm not going to get here, you know, sit here and get crazy about results. Uh, I I felt like this season's more about, as we've talked about a lot, what can we find out about players? What can we find out about next year? While still trying to have some fun and win. I mean, that's that's a far cry. I know that you guys are saying I'm all about winning, and you know, I'll get into that with Eholt, and I am, but I have a hard time taking the results in a 60 game season, as far as a team and winning and and making the playoffs the same as if it was a normal year, but. I mean, some of the things you've seen this week, there is positives to be had on the positional player's side because it's very clear that this team has to go out and remake this starting rotation at, at the end of the year. They have to figure out, Do the, you know, Kilame was brought up. Frankly, Kilame was brought up earlier in the day. I'm, I'm assuming he'll get a start this week. I heard Kevin Smith was down in the alternate site in Brooklyn p- pitching in a sim game. Maybe he gets a start before the year is out. Do any of these young arms have the ability to be a number four or number five or better? So you know going into the offseason, no matter what happens the rest of the 60-game season, the Mets are going to need to figure out their pitching staff. They're going to need to to potentially sign Stroman back. They're going to have to re-sign him or go out and get more pitching, whether that be by a trade or through the free agent market. It's too early really to see how that plays out. But in order to do that, you need to have other aspects of your team settled. I think they've figured out the bullpen a little bit. Uh, I think that you can figure out a bullpen. I think that you have to be open for that being a, a change year in and year out to some different arms doing the same thing, uh, interchangeable parts. But on the offensive side, I I have felt, and I have said that, and this is maybe sounds like a broken record, that this team is now going to be built on positional players which give you more certainty than pitchers that are volatile and injury-prone. So what you've seen so far is you've seen Luis Guillerme, Dom Smith, Andres Jimenez, and Thomas Nito all take part in some good moments throughout the last week. 
Now, I'm not sold on Dom Smith. I know he's emerging. I know he seems to be a fan favorite. Sometimes I think he has the backup quarterback syndrome going in on him because, you know, he was the backup first baseman. He was really good in a small sample size off the bench earlier last year before he got hurt. And there's enough that great home run that put a cap on the 2019 season. I think fans really get a, a good feel of him because of that. He's a great teammate. He has a lot of energy on the bench. All those things are important. But let me just throw a little cold water. You know, he's had a great week. He's had a nice run with the four home runs and you know the four games in a row and what have you. But when he was a full-time player last year, which is basically June and July before he got hurt, he had a, he was a two thirty-seven hitter. He had an OPS of seven seventy-seven and an on-base percentage below three hundred. Those are not great numbers for a full-time player. Those are not great numbers. So let's not anoint Dom Smith. It's, he has every right to get an opportunity to play, whether it be as a DH, spotting Alonzo at first, whatever you want to do. I have no problem with giving him all those at bats for the rest of the year. Now that Cespedes is gone. But I'm not ready to throw Alonzo off the island because he's in the slump. Alonzo's a young guy. He's uh, never had a slump like this before. Did you think his career was going to be bliss like last year? I mean, it, it was it was amazing how he had a charmed life last year. And even if you go back to 2018 when he had his final minor league season and he emerged, I mean, he had a great season. It's It's been a couple of years before Alonzo had any kind of adversity. This is the first adversity he's going to face as a big leaguer. And let's see how he handles it. And he was benched today. So uh, Dom versus Alonzo is not a bad thing as long as they don't make it bad. Maybe Alonzo needs a little push, and Dominic Smith is certainly doing that. And for Dominic Smith, the more versatility, the more he can play the outfield, play left field. He has the DH option. Hopefully the National League and Major League Baseball smarten up. And if there's one good thing that comes out of this crazy, stupid uh, pandemic season is that they institute the DH full-time going forward, I think it makes the games that much better. I think it makes pitching much more simpler, especially in a bullpen era, especially an era where, you know what, uh, you might have to have bullpen games and you can't be going out there worried about pinch hitters and double switching and all the things that come with uh, the pitcher batting ninth and, and what have you. Or, God forbid, relievers going out there hitting, getting hurt, and, and what have you. You don't need any more injuries than you have. Now, one of the other things that comes into play here is that Cano is hitting like the Hall of Fame second baseman that he is. And the DH will help, obviously, in that situation. But you also have to think about what is the best and most balanced Mets lineup. And also, what is the most realistic lineup within the course of building an affordable team, regardless of the fact that new owners are coming in. And you really have to take a long look at Nito, Jimenez, and Guillerme because they are young, they are controllable, they are affordable, and they provide you a little bit more balance because they are good on the other side of the ball, which the Mets have historically not been good at for quite some time, and that's on defense. Now, Guillaume out of the three is the one that you would not have even thought about because Nito was a backup catcher. You never thought about him being, you know, he was highly rated, so there was a time where maybe he was the catcher of the future. Jimenez, it wasn't, he was a top prospect, but he wasn't someone that you'd figure you'd be talking about this year. Now, Guillaume is a guy that hasn't really hit in the big league level. Uh, he's hitting very well now. I mean, he's not going to hit with an OPS over 1,000. That's not his game. But if you go back and look at his minor league numbers, not even with Vegas, with Syracuse last year, he was a guy that hit over 300 in the minor leagues in Syracuse, uh, had an on-base percentage uh, over 350, very good defensively. He's a very interesting piece up the middle and and can be, uh, uh, you know, you, you look at him with, the second half in a very small sample size last year. He had an 860 OPS or so. 
Had a big hit against the Nationals last year. He was a good offensive player, a very useful piece on that Mets team in the second half of last year. Now, you're going to give him more time to play, and it looks like with Rojas as the manager, who's familiar with him, he may get more leash than you'd expect, putting Cano at the DH spot to save his legs. You have to keep Cano healthy. You have to do that, and the DH is the way to do that. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of Guillaume. I think he's going to make it uh, an interesting debate whether you need to go with him up the middle. Uh, Jimenez Guillaume up the middle changes the Mets' defense uh, dramatically, changes with Nitto behind the plate. Look, I I was critical of Nitto because Thomas Nitto was not a great offensive player. He was like a pitcher up there. And at times I felt he didn't live up to the billing defensively. But if you look at the metrics, he's a good framer. I think he's certainly the best defensive catcher they have on the roster. And he's better than what they've had with uh, Wilson Ramos and Plowicki and even Darno when Darno was here. So if you put if you're not going to go out and sign a JT Real Muto, which is the only kind of catcher, and that's not a shoo-in with that kind of signing. He's going to be 30 years old. He's a guy that anytime you sign a catcher, look at Piazza, how he declined in the back half of his contract. As you sign a catcher, you know you're going to be signing maybe for some bad years on the back end, and you may have to overpay uh, depending on how the bidding goes. You might have to throw an extra year or some dollars to get him to come to your uh, your team. So that, there's no shoeing over there. Now, Real Muto may be able to play some other positions to keep fresh. I know he's the first baseman at times, but he's a catcher, and he has great leadership qualities. He's a gamer. He's, he's the kind of guy you need. That's the kind of upgrade. If Nito is a league average catcher, and he gives you the kind of framing you want, and he continues to improve and be uh, more towards the uh, positive on the defense. If you're not going to go out and get Real Muto, well, maybe then you go with the Nito behind the plate because it's so, and I continue to say this, you have the offense with J.D. Davis at third and Pete Alonso at first, and you have McNeil depending on where in the field he plays, and Nimmo, and Conforto. Um, you have offense on this team. And if Guillaume is going to give you the kind of offense where at least he's going to be an on-base guy, has a little bit of pop, Hits, you know, 280 to 300. That's more than enough up the middle. That up the middle defense, if you put Jimenez, and I know we've not even talked about Rosario because that's the guy that's the odd man out in all this stuff. And not because of Cano, because right now, um, you know, Jimenez is either going to be your second baseman or your shortstop. I don't think he profiles at third. He's, he's not going to hit for enough power to be a third baseman. And I think J.D. Davis, that's his shot. If J.D. Davis is going to be an everyday player, and, and continue to show elite offensive skills. Third base is probably going to be his position if he's not a DH. DH with the Mets in the National League or gets traded to the American League. So um, I think these kids, with Jimenez being kind of the spark on all this because he showed you what his uh, poise at the plate and his, and his speed and his defense and athleticism, what the difference it can be for this team. Now, they're not winning. So I know what you could say. Well, you know, Mike, what are you talking about here? They're not winning, but you have to see how this comes together. I think going into this season, the way it was you know, cut off because of the pandemic, now coming back, you almost have to use this as extended spring training. You really do. I know that if the Mets were 14-9, and nine, I'd be talking differently, but I even told you this. I told you this from the start. The wins and the losses were going to be a byproduct of you making sure that whatever you did this year, it had the goal and the mindset of, bleeding into next year because that to me is what this is about winning in a 60 game season just doesn't have the same panache winning is important no matter what and they have to continue to push and they have to continue to win 
And I know that there's some people freaking out. We'll talk to Matty Holt about this, about now they brought up Matthew Allen and Francisco Alvarez. They're a couple of top prospects to Brooklyn to play in the sim games over at the alternate site. And, and they could be traded now. I, I, I don't see a scenario with the trade deadline coming up in just two weeks. Already two weeks. Seems like the season started yesterday. With the trade deadline coming up in two weeks, I don't see the Mets... Uh, going for it. I don't see anybody making any deals unless they're really looking to dump somebody and that per- player is, is willing to be dumped and, and upheaval their life for the last 30 days of the season. Um, I don't see a lot happening. I think you're going to just go with what you go with. You're going to sign veterans if they're out there. You're going to work with your alternate site players. That's what this season's about. It's a uh, it's a fantasy baseball league without trading. Let's, let's put it that way. I think that's what it's going to be about. But really, I think... You re- we have to look at balancing this lineup lineup out because you can you can continue to build the bullpen. I think the bullpen can be figured out. But if you have this lineup, a good balance of offense and defense with some young controllable players, it will make Brody Van Wagenen's job, the new owner's job, so much easier this offseason because I don't care if the U.S. Federal Reserve comes in with all the money in the world to own the team. You got to go out there and there has to be a market where you want to give somebody that kind of money. And other than Stroman and Bauer, I went through that list. I went through it very quickly with you guys, and that's not something we'll do today. There's not a lot out there. And guess what? Bauer, I mean, you've seen him on Twitter. He is not a good fit for the New York media. Good pitcher, respect a lot, love his transparency and his ability not to be a phony and to be himself. But, oh boy, in New York, that'd be crazy, I think, with that whole situation. So really what you're looking at is a continuous uh, thought process of what players can you put in there? That will give you an opportunity to uh, win now as much as you can and be a contributor in 2021. Brian Dozier doesn't do that. He's off the roster. I know there's a big deal about Drew Smith getting designated, but, you know, that's a whole nother story. He'll be back. Uh, that was forty. That was roster move uh, games. That wasn't, you know, because of performance. That's as much part of the game, you know, who has options. You guys know that as anything else. So, anyway... Are the Mets in the right direction? Are they in the wrong direction? What can we glean from a lot of what's going on? I'm sure we'll debate Brody Van Wagenen because he's a big part of all this because he's making the decisions. And I believe even if a new owner comes in tomorrow and there will be an owner by the, the fall, he should continue to get an opportunity to push forward. There's a lot of good going on here, and we'll talk more about that. So Matty Holt, former beat writer for the Mets for the record, Yahoo Sports, NBC Sports Regional Network, my team's app. He's uh, going to come into the ring here. And join the Talking Mets podcast and chat me with me a little bit about his thoughts on the New York Mets. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be back with more right after this. Being in the big leagues is hard work. What is one of the fun aspects of the job? Jay Horwitz, longtime PR director for the Mets, gave us some insight. Like a guy like Darryl Boston, being with I've ever worked with, he's a, he's a coach now with the White Sox, and like in the early 90s, we had a kangaroo court in the locker room. Like a lot of kids did. He used to put on his long robes and, and long hair and robes. And he always included me. You know, he managed to find me something to make sure I was part of the group. We, every three or four weeks, we'd have these court sessions. The locker room would shut down, and Dow would be presiding. He would find me for getting too many guys for interviews. For, for uh, you know, he would include me things like. Um, they would buy me, uh, you know, when Brett Tehabrahan was on the team, they, they, we had a big one year with San Francisco. Everybody had to shave your head, uh, you know, and, and we, we couldn't get a hair, we had to shave your head 
uh, you know, to have team unity, include me in that kind of a thing. So guys like that made me feel part of the group, and uh, that was a fun part of the job. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. And uh, joining me, Matty Holt, you guys know him, uh, formerly of the record, Yahoo Sports, now the digital editor over at NBC Sports Regional Network, my team's app. Uh, joining us just a couple hours away from the final game of the three-game set out in Philadelphia, former Met Zach Wheeler taking the mound, obviously weather pending. Matt, pleasure to have you on. Now, I don't know if you know this, Matt, being that you're a big fan of the Talking Mets podcast. When I transitioned from traditional radio, traditional radio to this podcast, you were the first ever guest on the show. I don't know if you realized that back in 2016. So you're back. I know you've been on a couple of times. So knowing that you're a big fan of the podcast, welcome back, my friend. How are you? Oh, thank you for having me, Mike. I'm Matt, doing well. How are you doing today? Uh, good. I, I can't complain. So give us the state of the Mets. Give us your state of the Mets, third of the way in. Kind of bring the synopsis. Obviously a wacky season. Um, hard to evaluate. A lot of teams going through a lot of stuff right now. So give us your you know state of the union here if we want to kick it off on that point. Well, I don't think it's good so far. I mean, you, you know, the old Bill Parcells adage, you, you are what your record says you are at 9-13. and 13. I don't think things are going the way they expected. Um, they've had some unexpected things. Uh, I mean, you can't imagine Stroman was going to opt out, so that's a little bit of a tough blow. But on the other hand, the Waka injury, Waka was a little bit of an injury-prone uh, type of guy. Um, David Peterson has been great so far, so I think that's a positive for them. Uh, Dom Smith is hitting the ball like an MVP right now, so that's a positive. Uh, Wilson Ramos just contributing nothing. I say they imagine that. So I think it's kind of been a a mixed bag for them. Um, I I think the one saving grace for the Mets is if you look right now, the division isn't all that strong. Atlanta has problems. Uh, You know, Cunha and Albies are both out. Uh, Soroka's out. So, I mean, you just took three of their four best players, uh, you know, along with Freeman, probably are out right now. Uh, Phillies are having bullpen issues. Uh, they can't hold the lead. And the Nationals, I mean, they, you know, they lose Strasburg. They just lost Castro. They have lineup issues. So, I, I mean, the saving grace of the Mets, I don't think you have to be particularly that good this year to get either the second spot in the NL East or to get one of the top eight seeds. I, I mean, to be honest, if you can't, you're not one of the eight out of 15 best teams with a couple teams in the NL that are tanking the way they are. I mean, you know, that, that's kind of hard to do. Now, i got to be honest. I mean, anybody tanking this year, it's almost ridiculous to tank this year. I mean, Marlins technically, you could say, I mean, they added a few pieces. I mean, are you in anywhere supporting anybody tanking? Because I think anybody can make the playoffs. Does it mean a lot? I mean, look, I don't know what a championship in this season means, but uh, to me, you're right, you know, when you look at the way the season's going, hard to, to like or dislike a lot of, 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 of how this setup is. Um, but you, I'm almost surprised the teams are tanking now because the Marlins are going to have a good chance to make the playoffs because they got off to a, hard, hard, you know, a pretty hot start. Well, when I say tanking, Mike, I mean the, the sense of a team that really wasn't built to, to compete, right? Like let, Let's look, for example, right. at um, – I'll, I'll bring up, uh, the Rockies, for example. So the Rockies got off to a great start, but I think they've lost. I think they've lost like four or five or something. Like that right. Like 
So they're off to a good start, but when I say a, a tanking team, like the Rockies aren't really built to contend. So, yes, they're winning some games now. And, hey, maybe those 11 wins, they can somehow get to 30 and they can sneak in. But I'm, I'm looking more at the way the roster is constructed. Like, when you look at this Rockies team, they weren't going to keep up that level of play. So that that's more of, uh, you know, when I bring up the teams that are tanking here, um, that, is, that is what I mean. Now, let me, let me ask you this. Now, this is a question I have for mm-hmm. you because this is something I'm sure, sure uh, uh, par- part of the reason I'm, I know you're having me on today is we have certainly had our fair share of Twitter discussions. Sure. So I'm That's curious on radio. this, uh, and I feel we can have a, a, a good, fair debate back and forth. You have made it quite clear you are against rebuilds and tanking and stuff like that. So let, uh, here, what is your objection? Lay it out for me. Two teams that take the path of trying to rebuild, looking at the long term and saying, hey, you know what? We're probably not going to be all that competitive for the next few years. Let's try and build it through draft breaks. Let's try and do it the right way. Why? What is your major objection to looking at teams through that lens? There's nothing wrong with doing that, but I think there's – and I'll give you an example with Miami. Look at it, just adding a few veterans – how much more viable that team is. Now, in its 162-game season, do they go from, you know, 108 losses, uh, you know, to 500? No, but they're competitive. And I think there has to be an end game to these rebuilds. And sometimes they feel they're perpetual. Um, they're on and on and on. The only thing that comes out of it is you keep the fans on the hook because you can market them and you can market the prospects. And the owners save money. I mean, let's face it, Matt. When you get the payroll down to 40, 50 million bucks, the owner's saying to himself, well, you know, if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose anyway, let me let me make a little bit, you know, more with, uh, you know, by you know, saving on the payroll. And to me, that's damaging the game. Um, I don't think you have to do it because in a league where now you may even have more playoff teams going forward, you could sneak in. Uh, baseball's become a tournament. What's the harm in a 75-win team rebuilding and also competing? In a lot of ways, I think you're seeing that with the Mets. And I think you criticize Brody Van Wagenen. He's not – he's competing. He's not doing it. In my opinion, I know you could talk about the Kelnick trade irresponsibly. And by the way, the last two years, and if you believe Baseball America, if you buy into that, they've actually – their farm system's the same, if not better, than it was when Sandy Alderson left. So he's showing that you know, you, you know, a lot of people felt the Mets should tear down and rebuild. Imagine where you'd be now. Ownership situation changing. A team that would have been going nowhere. Uh, you know, forget pandemic. You wouldn't be drawing flies to that stadium. And it's about entertainment and winning. And now post-pandemic, when and if – People are allowed back into the stadium, and eventually I'm sure they will. you got to give fans a reason to show up. You can't market Baseball America. That's my issue. I think you could do both, and that's where I think the, the failure in, in a lot of the thinking has been. I will give you this, that the state of baseball right now, there is something to be said for the way that teams and fan bases accept prospect rankings. I mean, I, I can speak to, I mean, you know, I'm – I'm in my 30s here, uh, low 30s. You know, I don't want to make myself sound too old uh, for my own sanity here. But, um, you know, when, when I grew up watching the game in the 90s, I don't remember prospect rankings being a huge thing. It, it just wasn't. Like Never. Maybe you heard of uh, a big prospect on the way. Maybe you heard of, like, a guy like Reyes. Coming. But there was not this infatuation with who was the number 18 prospect. Like, I'll, like, I'll bring up a guy. Now, you know I did not think the Mets handled it correctly. But, for example, in, in the two thousand early 2000s, Nobody would have known who a Jordan Humphreys was. Nobody would have known the number 15 pitcher in A-ball. The game has changed in the way that the fans and stuff do look at 
the prospect ranking. Now, if you want to call that prospect hugging or whatever, there is a difference where people put such a value um, on the prospects. Now, having said that, I, the one point I do agree with you on, I will give you this, is you don't win championships. There is no Baseball America championship, and I don't say in any way derogatory about Baseball America. They do fantastic work. I'm just talking about there is no like banner hung for top farm system. But right. I do think that the farm system in building a healthy and one that can consistently turn out major leaguers is something um, that teams need to have. Now, to kind of uh, a rebuttal to your point before you brought up the, the difference in the farm systems. Now, we both know here farm systems are cyclical, right, in the sense that usually when teams are contending, the farm system dips a little bit. I mean, it's hard when you have lesser picks and stuff. So the, the trying to compare two kind of draft classes and stuff where uh, like a, a farm system ranks, that stuff tends to vary. You know, the Mets have drafted very well. I mean, I don't think this has ever been a thing of the Mets. I mean, if you look at, and I tweeted this last night, if you kind of look at the, the, since the, the Alderson regime uh, took over, and we'll, we'll just use that because if you go beyond that, then you start getting it, you know, like if you go back to an old market, we're starting to get into, you know, uh, the 12, you know, 15 years ago. If you kind of look at the yeah. last 11 years, the Mets have drafted very well. That's the one thing. You can kind of put up their drafts against anybody during that time. So the, the whole thing on the draft class, um, I think, is, it, it tends to go in cycles, and the Mets have had some better picks recently in some years because they've had some down years. So sometimes I look at the the whole thing about, well, the, the farm system has improved a little bit under Brody. It's like, well, that can also be a little bit cyclical, and, and also you can make the argument, well, if they had not traded some of those guys. And at the same point, the Mets did graduate a decent amount of guys. I mean, if you look at it recently in the last few years, they graduated a Rosario. Now, I know Rosario's not hitting, but he was a top five prospect at one time. Rosario, Dom Smith, McNeil, some of those guys. So, you know, the, the whole nature of the farm system debate, um, as long as you have guys in place who are good drafters, which the Mets do, ultimately I think like what they are ranked year to year is not a huge deal, personally. And what drove me not I mean, not, um, there's nothing what you say is wrong. What I think I have a problem with is I almost felt – especially after the Stroman deal, they were shamed into, well, you're contending? How dare you? And I look at the guys they gave up. All right, Simeon Woods Richardson, I mean, maybe in three years, maybe. I mean, this year of lost development, which nobody could have predicted, is going to kill some players. You're not going to get, whether you're at the alternate site or you're sitting home throwing in a park, it's hurting you. I'm sorry. Not having minor league uh, time has got to hurt you. Uh, we oh, it's going to hurt everybody. I, no, you're 100% right on everybody. that. Guys Guys, not being able to right. contend across every organization. And, and, and you know, hey, like, the, I, you know, yesterday the Mets promoted those two guys. Yeah, they, I mean, that that's a good thing to do to get those guys. But but that's not going to ultimately matter. That Like, losing a whole year of playing games, constantly being at the stadium. Like, every prospect out is going to feel that this year because it's just not the same just playing on the backfield uh, you know against your teammates every day but then i see guys rick Hahn never wins anything perpetually rebuilding jed hoyer uh praised fired in arizona clentech i don't really see what's so special about the phillies heim bloom you think the mets passed up on uh you know rich branch ricky um i mean he's not really running things in boston I mean, the Mets needed a GM. You know you know what the ownership situation. They needed someone who, whether you like the guy or not, 
You needed somebody to run the organization. That's not what Hein Bloom, a very young guy with very little experience uh, outside of, you know, player development. That's not what they needed. So what I don't understand is they criticize the Mets. They criticize the GM. A lot of it is because he's a former agent. We know that agents are looked at as a sleazy salesman. Um, but I look at the sleazy salesmen as those who are doing these marketing rebuilds, and I'll blame the owners because if I owned a team, I'd say, how can you rebuild and do all the things you're telling me to do, and can we try to win? And I don't understand, and maybe it's because of the NBA and the NFL, and like you said, now people look at prospect lists. It, these guys, Jordan Humphreys and, 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 uh, and Blake Taylor, you know, I know he's starting off well in Houston. While they were coming up, I've heard, I heard about Blake Taylor. I, when, I, when he first was traded, I was like, wow. We've been talking about this guy. He was traded for Ike Davis. Ike Davis seems like eons ago. You never know when these guys are going to be ready. And I think that's the mindset. Everybody thinks they're going to – well, they're going to work out because the ranking says they're going to work out or because the analytics says they're going to work out. And we're losing perspective on how hard it is to make the big leagues. And, and, and guys that we don't even think about, like Seth Lugo. Seth Lugo was never talked about. When Seth Lugo got brought up, I, I believe you were covering the Mets at that time for the record. You probably thought he was going to be there for like 10 days until somebody got sent back down. And now look where he is. So I think that's where it is. It's the context. And we continue to act like we know. And, and there's this one pathway to winning. One team has tanked their way to winning. That's Houston. And they had to do it because if you – and I'm sure you have. If you looked at their financial situation, they weren't even being broadcast on television. The Cubs didn't do what the Astros did. They held back, but they were in a much different position with Wrigley Field. Uh, the, the, the Cubs. Like this has been done. It's, it's been done once, and they got lucky, the, the Cubs, and maybe they were aided, with it, aided a little bit the, by it. Let's the Cubs way. tanked, Mike. I mean, maybe they didn't go to the level that the, the Astros did, where the Astros. They were in purgatory like the Mets. Mets were in purgatory because of finances. The Cubs were in purgatory because they decided. The Ricketts family decided. What's the point of competing while I'm winning? I mean, that's if you look, they weren't that bad. They weren't. Astros level bad, and they had really no. The Astros, Astros took it to a different level. Yes, I yes, that is correct. All right, all right, but, they but, lost, but, lost ninety six in twenty thirteen. But I bet you, with a little bit of effort, they could have gotten to the mid seventies with those teams just by signing some veterans. And would it have made a here, difference? It, would Chris Bryant not they, be there? All right, maybe you know, but but here, he, all right. So uh, there, the, we have a lot of things to unfold within that. Um, so, so I'll start. First of all, all the GMs you kind of mentioned, right? Like, let's go through it. Klintek has not done really a good job at Philly. And to be honest, if they don't make the playoffs this year, hard to see how he's going to stay there, especially um, if he ended up. And granted, I should say you don't. We don't know how much of a role ownership plays in this because we don't know what happened behind closed doors. But if they lose Ria Muto. Uh, or if he hits free agency, if they miss the playoffs and he hits free agency, I mean, he, he doesn't have a very uh, great Muto's sell. So be with the Mets next year. I mean, that's that's fait accompli, Riamuto being with the Mets. His former agent's going to sign him, and he's going to be in the Mets, and he'll be behind the plate with the new ownership group. I, I saw you think that's all Brody, not the new owner? <laughs> well, money plays into it, but it helps when you have a relationship. See, it helps when you're GM, and I'm interrupting you, and I apologize. Uh, it helps when the agent has relationships with the players and, and has a good standing with the Players Association. But uh, that's a different story. We'll get to that. Finish your point. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. I had to make a snarky comment. That's, that's No, no, no. Yeah. I, 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 and I do – I mean, listen, I will, I will give you this. I disagree on who should get the credit on it, but Ria Muto is the guy I always thought if he hits it. Brody does love that – does love JT. 
uh, he would make a ton of sense for the Mets. Now, the only thing that would be a concern there is signing a 30-year-old catcher to a deal that he he wants for a long term could may not, especially for a guy who's as much of a warrior as JT doesn't play every day. You know, there might be some long-term things there uh, that you just worry about paying a catcher deep into his 30s. But um, so let, we go. So you brought up him. All right. Um, you brought up Hoyer. I mean, Hoyer's not really fair to compare to those guys. He did win a championship. So like, like I, I feel like he's a different one, but okay. But you bring, you brought up Hein Bloom, right? All right. So l- l- let's look at Hein Bloom because this, I think he, he's a perfect example of, I guess, where you and I differentiate on this. So Hein Bloom in, takes over in Boston. This Boston roster is not good. So, and this kind of gets into where I think you talk about going for it and not going. So if you're Hein Bloom and you're basically told by ownership, you have to get rid of Mookie. I mean, let's be honest. Hein Bloom was not going in there saying like, oh, I'm going to trade Mookie Betts. Like no, no GM wants to trade Mookie Betts. It's clear ownership told him to. So in Hein Bloom's case, you look at that division right now, the Rays are ready to win. The Yankees are loaded. The Jays are on their way up. Um, the Orioles stink. So, What's the upside for Boston right now that they're going to finish third if everything breaks right? Like, like maybe somehow they steal second. So w- w- I look at it like if you're if you've got a team like Hein Bloom, I think nothing is wrong with saying, "Hey, listen, we're not going to be better than the Yankees for a few years. We're probably not going to be better than the Rays in the short term. The Jays are coming." Why not rebuild this? Why not do it properly? Take it the slow method at a time when what's the what's the big deal in finishing 81 and 81 or finishing 75 and, and 87? That if you look at it and say, if we want long-term viable success, we need to properly analyze. Now, the reason I tie that in is because you brought up before the Marcus Stroman trade. Now, I have said this, so this is a, you know a point. Of all the trades Brody has made, um, of the ones that have, like, backfired, because, you know, like, I'm not going to get into, like, the J.D. Davis trade worked out. I criticized that at the time. It has worked out. That is the one uh, Brody deserves credit for. They they did a very nice job. But let, let's look at the Stroman trade in itself. The Stroman trade, if you break it down in terms of what the Mets gave up versus what they got, is a fine trade on a baseball level, right? Like, they gave up um, mm-hmm. a back-end starter with, with years of control who, you know, hadn't made his major league debut and they gave up a young prospect in, in uh, um, you know, like a ball. Now I know you got on me on Twitter the other day for not knowing Woods Richardson. I knew who Woods Richardson was. I had heard very good things pr- about I was him. Being, I, 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 I understand. I didn't take it that, that seriously. I'm just joking here. Sometimes um, people have to realize in a hundred, what, 255 characters, context and nuance is lost. Let's put it that way. I think we, we forget, we forget that, but go ahead. So anyway, if you look at so you look at what they gave up in a baseball sense, I thought the the move itself was fine. Where this is and this is where and I'm sure the, this is the big talking point. People want to hear me and you ultimately go back and forth on where I look at the stuff Brody does and where I question him is. I do not believe that the Mets were in a position to basically last year look at that team where it was, and for as great as they were playing, because I remember I was in Chicago, uh, or no, it was an off day when they traded, or maybe maybe they were playing, I forget. I remember I was at no, home. I think, I think it was at the Cubs series, that Sunday game where they had blown, maybe when Lugo blew the save. I, it, it's around that time. No, 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 because that, that was in June. That was in June. That was after the Callaway had the meltdown, right? So no, no, they got on. they got Stroman. I remember I was at my apartment, and then he joined the team Sunday in Chicago. 
It was definitely a Sunday after a Met game. I know that. After that sounds game. about right because then they played in Chicago. Yes, because I flew out to Chicago on a Monday night, and then they played Chicago, I think, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then, and then I think they went to Pittsburgh. Right, so so it was, right, a, it was right, like a right. Sunday they, they played somebody. Um, my thing was I did not look at the Mets as a team that that basically – should have been willing to pay for one and a half years of service of a guy when they were probably not going to be realistic contenders for the first half of the deal. Now, I can understand there was some fans, and I already agree with me on Twitter, about, oh, well, the Mets were close last year. But the thing was, they had less than a 5% chance at the time of making the playoffs. What I didn't like about the deal was I didn't feel the Mets were the team to pay a price for one and a half years when they were essentially punting 0.5. And I use punting loosely. I'm just saying I didn't, they were probably not going to make the playoffs. So why pay 1.5 years worth of price for really one year? And the problem I've had with a lot of the moves that Brody makes is – the Mets, I don't feel, analyze themselves when they make these kind of moves. And this kind of ties into where we brought up the GMs before, right, in the sense of I feel that a good GM needs to be able to look at his team and be honest about it and needs to be able to say, are we really contenders or are we not? And I feel like the Mets, ever since Brody came in, and I know you and I disagree on this part, I don't feel that they have been honest with themselves. For example, with Cano and Diaz, he comes in the door, the Mets last year were not a second baseman who was on the decline, who you had to think these are supposed to be the two good years. Now, he's been fine this year, but the injuries are something that's going to pop up. And a closer. A closer is a luxury. Like, like unless you're really contending, I, I, don't, I think a closer is an absolute luxury. I think any team that's bad uh, that has a closer should trade them. Uh, that's just personally me. I think it, it's, you know, it, it's uh, basically, you know, having – uh, paying for rims on a, you know, 1975 broken down car. But like, so I just feel the Mets have just not been honest about where they are and what the upside of this team has been since Brody came in, where I think the prudent move he should have done is look at the team, let it play for a year. Yeah. Bring up Alonzo, let Dom get reps, let McNeil Take a year to find out what you have in this system and then go from there rather than just come in right off the bat and say, hey, we're going to give $20 million to a declining Robinson Cano. We're going to trade for this uh, uh, you know, reliever who had one good year. We're going to go get Stroman for a year and a half when half of the deal um, you know, ha- he might not make all that much of a difference. So those are the type of things you know, we're going to give up six prospects to try and get one backup outfielder. I mean, the, the infatuation Brody has with the defensive out, don't understand it. I mean, you can just sign those types of guys off the waiver wire and stuff all the time. So, or claim guys. That, you so, know well, what some I'm of saying. those, but, I think are 40 man roster. I think some of those are 40 man roster situations where you look, you can maybe criticize the 40 man roster maneuvering. And they're like, well, I have this guy. I have to put him on the 40 man. And part of that now is you can't leave guys in the minors. They'll take, be taken in the rule five draft. I mean, managing a 40 man roster is a lot harder today than uh, back. I remember the first time the Mets took a rule five draft pick was Doug Simons back in 1991 from the twins. And they kept him on the roster all year. I know Sandy Alderson had that one year. He had uh Beato on the, on the roster. So it, it, got, it started to change, but what you're saying about Brody, it's not unfair, but here's where, and it even ties into the Mookie Betts situation. I'm looking at Mookie Betts here. 26 years old, and they got some nice prospects. I don't understand with, with Bogarts, with some of the young players they have, 
Yeah. Are you going to compete this year with the Yankees? They're a slow-pitch softball team, the Red Sox. They're not competing with anybody. But with their money, with their power, with, their, with the kind of ownership they have, there's no reason why you couldn't sign Betts, continue to keep him as a core player. Now, maybe Betts doesn't want to be in Boston for a lot of reasons. I could see why you know, maybe he doesn't want to be in Boston anymore. I could see that. Maybe they knew that, and we don't know that, and that's why he was dealt. But I don't understand why you'd give him up. And then if you look at the Mets, with the clock ticking on starting pitching, you have two choices. You rip that thing apart, which would be so – it would be horrible to, to rip that apart without competing and trying to maximize it. Or you go forward with it, and he went forward with it. The easy thing to do is rebuild because you could always say wait till next year. The hard thing to do is to go for it, and I think that's where he gets criticized, but he should be applauded. He's doing the hard thing. Now, should he have taken a step back on the farm system? Anytime you go into a job, I think you should take a step back and spend a year to evaluate. I think the new owners should do the same thing. I don't think he should come in and fumigate the place. Like, I don't know if you're an entourage fan. I don't want him to do an Ari Gold come in with a paint gun and start shooting people and get him out of the office when he, when he takes over. If you don't know that, that scene, I apologize. It's an old scene from an old show. Um, but, um, you know, that wasn't the situation he was put into. There was some critical thinking, and I think that's the part that nobody brings up. The situation was – you're either going to rip it apart and trade all this pitching, which you would have probably got 50 cents on the dollar for. The deals that were being offered for DeGrom were a joke. Or you go for it. I think that's the better option. I mean, how would you like to look back and have the regret and say, well, we weren't that far off? Now, you want to make the owners and the payroll and the money and the cash flow? Uh, that's, you know, that's any GM. That would have been anybody that would have had to deal with that. But that was my point. I don't know why you – if other than Mookie Betts not wanting to be there, why couldn't he be part of the solution – in the next three to four years, the Red Sox aren't going to be bad for five years if they don't want to be. Correct? I mean, well, did you see a situation where the Red Sox are turning around? They did it in 2013. They went like this with a I think, finger. I think this is completely different because I think if you look at the state of their roster, they have Bogarts, they have Devers. Verdugo looks like a nice piece, but what do they have after that? Like, the rotation is in shambles. They have a bullpen that has guys you've never even – I mean, seriously, I'm watching some of these Yankee Red Sox games. They're bringing in guys that – Okay. Might as well, I might as well have gone to high school with. Like these are guys I've never heard of who are coming in for them. I, I think I think this is going to be an actual rebuild in Boston. I do. Uh, I don't think that they are like signing a JD Martinez away from like you know uh, that that time they sure. did like you know. I, I don't think so. But uh, here but here's my year deal with uh, with Betts. I think they could be part of the solution if he wants. Well, um, well, first of all, Mike, I, I agree with you on that one 100. percent I think Boston. I think I've always thought that the big advantages of being a team in a big market are supposed to be you can go after the star players when like teams like the Royals really can't, and you can fill out the margins on your roster better. I've always thought those are the two advantages that teams had. Now, um, having said that, for example, and I know you're, you, you criticize him, but that's one thing I think you have to give Cashman credit for is Cashman fills out the edge of his roster very well. Um, and I thought that's always what separates a good GM is basically what does he have beyond the star players? Now we could look at differently. Rizzo does it differently. Rizzo has always been a guy who Rizzo builds up his top 10. Basically that says like, I'm my top 10 players are going to be better than yours. Then the nationals have a little bit of depth problems, but the nationals usually have 10, like, stu- you know, studs under, I, I use studs right. loosely in this thing. Like right. I'm not saying 10 in the top 20, but they usually have 10 very, very good players. So there's different ways, but I've always thought a, a GM with money could fill out their roster better than other teams. Here is my question, and this is the one, like I said, people probably want to hear us discuss this because they've seen me ask you this plenty of times. What I don't understand, and I get what you're saying with Brody. You know what? 
when you look at it strictly from that perspective of what you say, there is merit to what you are saying. I, I will give you that, the whole idea of, you know what, uh, as a sports fan, I would rather have my team go for it every year, even if we don't make it. You know what, I respect that. Ultimately, as you have said, that it, this is a business. Uh, this is also it's business, but it's also entertainment from a fan's perspective. I have I have no qualms with 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 fans that want to see their team go for it every year. That say, hey, I watch this for fun. I really don't want to watch a rebuild. I, I do that. Well, I I respect that as a fan. Now I disagree a little bit. I think you should be. I mean, which I'm sure you realize. I would rather teams be honest because I think if you want to have long-term annual contention, I think you need to be honest with yourself as an organization. Um, but the question I have, me and you, and all are going back, we've been able to answer. What I don't get is, why are you so hesitant to criticize Brody for some of his moves which have not panned out? And, and I'll give you an example right now, right? Like the Cano-Diaz trade. Now, I know you're not big into prospects, though, so even just take away the Kellenic aspect of it. But when you look at the way this Mets team is currently constructed, and I had this discussion with someone on Twitter last night, look at how much has changed in the last year in the sense of Dom Smith suddenly looks like a star. Now, is Dom Smith going to keep up a 1,200 OPS? No, he's not. But suddenly Dom Smith looks like a guy where the last two years you maybe wondered, hey, do we – is he a bust? Is he not? Does his bat fit? Because suddenly Dom Smith looks like a guy, honestly, and I say this, and I'm not trying to say this is like flavor of the week. The Mets yeah, probably should play Smith at first. No, no, uh, the point I'm about to say. The Mets should probably start looking into giving Alonzo some more DH at bats. If, if their defense is so bad, they should probably try and get Dom in the field at first base as much as they can, especially if Pete's not going to be is not hitting like he is. But then you look at a guy like Jimenez where – yeah, I don't think Jimenez is a star. I think he's probably playing a little over his head right now. But Jimenez is certainly a very nice piece to have. Then you look at a guy like Davis. Davis looks like he's a keeper. Then you have McNeil. So what do you do with all those guys when you have Cano eating up the either the DH spot or the second base moving forward? You can't play all those guys. Now, you can trade one of them, and maybe that's what they'll ultimately do, but I mean, if you just look at it, even from a – if you want to even take away the going for it, not for that, having Cano on the payroll the next three years at $20 million just clogs up because when Cano's done is when Dom Smith will hit free agency, when uh, I think McNeil will be at the end of uh, his arbitration, same thing with, like, Alonzo. So, I, 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 like I said, just getting at the crux of it, why – I don't understand why you're so hesitant to criticize Brody for some of these moves with – even if you like the attention behind it or, or, or the idea behind it, just have not worked out and have kind of set the franchise back a little bit. Well, you just answered the question. I, I can't be a phony and criticize process. If I'm going to support a thoughts process, um, I'm not here saying, okay, now in hindsight, would I do that deal today? Cano and Diaz for Kelnick uh, at all? I, of course I would think twice about it. Um, but at this point, I have to say the guy's – been on the job not even two years really uh he took it october of 2018 and think about this and as part of me is where the soft spot comes into play i got to give the guy credit and maybe i'm looking at this way differently than you are maybe that's where the gap is guy comes from one side of the industry to another takes a lot of guts he gave up a lot of money unless there's an ownership piece in this whole thing he gave up a lot of annuity annuity money taking this job i don't know why he did it for this aggravation but being an agent isn't easy. We know that. He was running CAA. People act like he was just some guy running a bodega on the side of uh, Queens Boulevard. He's running a division of a major sports agency. Um, what other GM, Matt, 
has had as much uh, scrutiny and adversity when they came in. Um, media doesn't like them off the bat because it wasn't their preferred choice. Um, See, but Mike, uh, that's not fair to say. Come on, Mike. Yeah, listen, I, I know one, about a B run. Mike, that's not day. fair. That is not. That's, that's not true. fair, Mike. They didn't like him. It's the not fair. Hold on. Hold on. Hold information too, so they're going to be upset with him. Hold that's on. True. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Mike. 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 I can tell you this. Oh, hold on. I can tell you this. What? Who covered? What are you saying? I didn't say you had. I didn't say you had a grudge. I said there were members of the media that had grudges against Broad. There was a lot of low blows taken, including at your old place of employment, Yahoo. They took a very low blow article, which I remember very vividly, about where he lived and his wealth. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, that would be uh, well. I live. My parents live in the same but, county as, as Brody, so that that so so I, I am a big fan of. You what? didn't write the articles. I said I didn't. Well, say you wrote I, the no, articles. I said I'm a very big fan of I'm a very big fan of Fairfield County. I, I give Brody uh, Brody and uh, Cashman too because he lives in the county. I give them uh, very much props for the uh, county that they have chosen to live in. Uh, best county in the world, in my opinion. But anyway, um, that's not fair to say though, Mike. Nobody came in. I mean, listen. I I know the guys on the beat. None of them. None of the men and women on that beat, none of them came in saying, oh, I hate Brody. There's nothing like that. I know it's easy to say. From a more national perspective, I think. More of a national perspective, I think he got more lack of a... But is there... Okay, let's look look at this critically, though. Is there not reason to be suspect or to question the way the Mets went in when, when you look at their hiring process, and the hiring process was they had a former GM in Melvin who a lot of people were not that high on because they said, well, he hasn't been a GM and how long has the, you know, is the game different than when he did Pine Bloom, who I think the Mets should have ultimately hired and Brody, an agent who is friends with the owner who basically, if you look at it, and I mean, this is not being saying anything that is unfair. If you look at the Mets roster, the Mets are built through CAA. Now, certain teams have, in the same way the Nationals are basically built through Boris clients, the Mets are built through CAA clients. Look at it. It's Cano. It's DeGrom. It's Cespedes. Like, the Mets have a, CAA, a tendency to sign Waka. The Mets have a tendency to sign CAA guys. I mean, that's just kind of the, the way it goes. The relationship so, aspect just plays into it, sure. Sure. So, I think there's reason to be critical that people look at it and say, uh, with all the bright young minds in this game, and, and I'm not saying Bro- Brody isn't, isn't bright. You don't get to where he did in the agent game if, if, you know, uh, if, if you're a dummy. Brody is, is a smart man. But when you look at all these young baseball executives, for the Mets to decide, you know what, we're in a position, we're going to go outside the box and hire an agent, especially at a juncture where they had to make a very important call, as you alluded to, I mean, and, and hey, like I said, the Mets had a tough call to make where they basically could say, all right, do we want to rebuild? Do we want to go for it? Or do we want to kind of stand pat and take a year? Maybe, like I said, maybe standing pat for a year wasn't the best of options. I think they probably should have done that because do I think the Mets needed a full rebuild? No, but I think they needed to – personally, I think they need to take the why don't we take a year, see where we are, analyze if we can make some trades and go from there. I don't – I, I don't think that I, they didn't need to tank completely. Like when I say full rebuild, I'm thinking of teams that are like, all right, we're going to go win 60 games. I think the Mets needed to, I think the Mets should have probably entertained trading some of those pitchers more than they did. But anyway, I think the criticism of Brody comes from the fact of 
the Mets had options to sign people who have run teams before and decided that they were going to go with an agent. Now, you brought up a, a fair point before, that, or, or you brought up a point that I think, and this is where the criticism Brody comes. You mentioned before, running a 40-man roster is tough. Like, like I'll say this. I think it is a lot easier for the New York Knicks to hire a former CAA agent as their GM than it is baseball because running a 40-man roster is tough. Uh, it is not easy to be able to do all those moves. And I think that's where sometimes you see the issues with Brody in that, for example, let's look at last year. He gave up three prospects. Now, even if you want to say none of those guys have turned out to be all that much, for Keon Broxton. Now, Keon Broxton had one good year in 2018 as like a fourth outfielder. But again, part of being a GM, in my opinion, is you need to know when and where to use prospects to get stuff. You need to know basically it's like, uh, you know, it's currency. And using three prospects in that deal to get Keon Broxton, then using another two this year to get Jake Marisnik, of all people, then using another one. Now, I understand the Humphrey situation is different. That was DFAing, trying to get something, when, rather get something than nothing. But you look at that and you say, he's used six prospects in the last year plus just on the same player, on the Marisnik Broxton. And that's where I think people can look at it and criticize and say, See, when you're hiring a G, an agent who's never been a GM, you have him using six prospects to go get Keon Broxton and Jake Marisnik. Well, you know what? Maybe those six prospects could have helped you land somebody at the deadline at a different time. Maybe if you have those six guys, you could use them in a different deal. Maybe instead of giving up Woods Richardson, you could give up two of those guys. And that's where I think some of the criticism comes from. You're turning over your department to a guy who has never operated within a front office hierarchy before. And he, he's the guy that makes the decision. So he's the guy in the hot seat, but you also have other guys in there. You know, he's brought in to give him credit. Uh, he's been players first, like he promised, you know, Pete Alonso doesn't get a chance to start the season with other teams. Andres Jimenez doesn't sniff the big league with most teams this year because they're going to save him for, for arbitration purposes. Um, he's brought in guys like Jared Banner and Alan Baird from Boston, guys who were respected when, that, when they were with those teams. And think about this. Well, if you want to be real cynical, Mike, <laughs> let me say this. If you want to be real cynical here, the Mets bringing up Jimenez in the year the owners are selling the team. I'm just saying, if you want to be real cynical there, well, you could tie two, I, two I and two together. I mean, you could, you know, they could say the same thing with Matthew Allen and, and Alvarez. They're bringing them up. I know there's the fear that they're going to trade them away. And look, if he makes a crazy deadline deal, let's say he goes for Trevor Bauer. Let's say, which I don't think would be a good fit in New York, as much as I think he's a good pitcher. Very bad fit with the media in New York. I do not think Trevor um, Bauer will handle New York well, personally. I, I think it's not. Even now, right. It would be a bad move. But let's say he does that for a win okay. now move. I'll criticize it because now that's being a riverboat gambler and you're, you're, you're going the tightrope without a, a net. I don't think he'll do that. Look, that's a legitimate concern with the, the owners selling. They could do whatever the hell they want. But what other GM has had the most adversity in their first two years in the job? Uh, pandemic. Two elite pitchers going down, one on the opt-out. Uh, a manager that was forced on them uh, uh, that he had to fire. Uh, I mean, he had to keep the manager. That was part of the deal. He hires a manager who gets fired, and uh, you could make the argument that whole situation was overblown with the signs dealing. If you really want to talk about it, if the Yankees with, with the, the, the what, wait, what was overblown? I'm sorry, I didn't hear. 
the, the sign stealing was overblown because the Yankees were the victim and they made it out to be a bigger deal than what it was because everybody was doing it with technology. It was inevitable that technology was going to be a problem. I mean, you never sat at, at the stadium, saw a guy with an iPad before an at-bat looking at the, 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 the footage, and you never thought to yourself, this is going to go bad one day. I did, but I just said, oh, well, they know what they're doing. So that you know, you could make the argument. Well, Mike, I think I think you're uh, listen. I understand you're. I understand you're not a Yankees fan. I, I understand that. I think that's a little harsh to say. I mean, the victim it would not have been as big of a deal if it was any other team in baseball that wasn't on the back end. And add in the fact that Houston added to their own issues by being insensitive to the media during the World Series. All that made the sign stealing become a big. Well, they were cheating I though. I mean, I mean, I understand. We can never, we can discuss. Never, no one pays attention to it. No we can that. discuss. But we can discuss that. here. He got criticized. He got criticized for an event had nothing to do with him and the Mets. They actually looped him and say, "Well, how did he not know?" Well, you know, they talked to Beltron. I didn't see anybody really dive into that science thing when Beltron was being interviewed. All of a sudden, oh, well, Brody should have known. What he has a crystal ball. He should have known about the pandemic too. Well, shouldn't because you? You know, you look, you Mike. Know? Those are two. Come on, that's not fair there to say that because. I mean, listen, I'll say this. Any, I mean, I, you know I criticize Brody as much as anybody. Even I know you, the pandemic thing with Strowman, to criticize Brody on that would be dumb because, they, like, he, he didn't know. So there, there's nothing there. But the, the, the Beltron thing is a completely fair question. If you're interviewing someone for a job at your company and they're brought up in, a, like, a scandal, like, let's say you were at a, a – a, let's say I'll, – I'll just break it up just because he's uh, in the mix. Let's say you're, you're, you're hiring someone at, at, at Steve Cohen's firm and they're involved in, like, insider right. trading rumors at another place, aren't you going to ask that guy and say, hey, what's the deal on this? If I, um, if I hire you, are you going to be going to jail for insider trading? Like, you should ask right. somebody that during an interview. And I think they did, and he probably and, – and if you really look at – and I bet you as you dive further into that, he was involved. He probably was involved more than – they made it out to be bigger with him than I, than I believe he, he was – he was a sacrificial lamb, um, and, and I think that when they looked at it at that point, they were like, well, this will never get bigger than it is, and all of a sudden it did. I mean, you and I know he wanted A.J. Hinch. He just couldn't get A.J. Hinch. I mean, that's – A.J. Hinch was in his wedding. I mean, yeah, those two have I mean, a relationship. He wanted A.J. Hinch, and imagine – I mean, that would have been funny if they allowed him – I bet you Houston, if they knew what was going on, they would have allowed him out of that contract. And they would have foisted him on the Mets, and it would have even been worse. But think about it. Had a higher rehire manager, the pandemic, the Callaway situation, the ownership situation. What other GM has come into that? They've got to give the guy credit there. That's a lot on but, someone's plate. Uh, isn't that – but, but, I don't think Heim Blue but, can but, handle that. He, he didn't but really isn't that Mike – no. during, during the, the hiring of Boston here. It was like he looked like a deer in the headlights with the whole uh, Renicky stuff, to be honest. But, but isn't this – that's just happened. Isn't this in some ways though like you know what you're getting into like That's like a lot, he's done so many I mean you know what you're getting into in New York I mean I don't think anybody could have predicted when I when if I came to you in October of 2018 and said hey Matt this is what's going to happen in baseball in the Mets world Callaway the situation the chair situation Beltron uh, Rojas pandemic you would probably say what a kook but but here's the but here's the thing Mike though. I don't criticize Brody for the manager thing. Like, like I mean, maybe other people do, and I understand you were talking here, but like the manager thing, I'm not I don't. Saying, yeah, I'm not saying just no, no, I I understand what you're saying, but but, but what, what I'm saying is like 
okay, when you get into a relationship with something, like, he knows what the Mets are like and what it's like to work for the Wilpons and the stuff that's going on. Like, he knew that Mickey Calloway was the manager. Like, so, like, I don't think I really give him all that much credit for that or say, oh, it was adversity, because when you join the Mets, you know, I mean, listen, the Mets have a reputation around baseball. They do. It's not a good one. People look at the Mets a lot, and they just go, what the hell are they doing over in New York? So, like, I, I think that, I mean, Brody knew what he was getting into. This wasn't like he, he just joined the organization and everything went to hell. Like, like Brody knows this, this is kind of the way stuff happens with the Mets. And, and, you know, when he came in, the manager stuff, he knew that was going. I mean, you know, you, you brought up Hein Bloom a few times. I, I mean, you know, the, the Ron uh, Reineke situation with, with manager, I mean, they know he's not the long-term manager. That's basically just, hey, listen, we'll wait a year. We'll see what happens. We're not going to be all that good this year. So, like, I, I just – I don't understand praising Brody for handling a situation where I think, to be honest, if you look at it, you say, like, he he was – he's so tight with Jeff that he, he knows what it's like to be with the Mets and all the dysfunction that's here. And he took the job. So you got to give him credit for going putting himself – Think, but you got to. This is the thing I tell people. He had he was making a lot of money in a job that he probably had a pretty good handle on. He's running the department. He's doing this because he's taking on a challenge. You have to give a guy credit that I don't think anybody. Sure, I, I give him part. yes. I'm not he, he saying deserves- look the prospect thing. You know, look he, the fourth outfielder thing. Those are good points. I'm sure, and he said that. I'm sure there are things he would do differently. And I think the only thing with Kelnick and 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 no, everybody's got an opinion on that. If you have Nimmo and Conforto, and if Kelnick's not a center fielder, which I don't know, I'm 100% sold he's a center fielder, uh, you could argue they could have got a better return on him now. Certainly they could have. But they already got Kelnick in the corners with Nimmo and, and Conforto. Well, what if Kelnick's going to be better? What if Kelnick's going to be better than them? I, I mean, let's be honest. There's know, a possibility. It's hard to say that. It's a possibility, but we don't know. Have you ever Mike seen Pete, the media scouts I mean, that I that, trust. Talking to poor guy's mom. I mean, uh, no other prospect. Does anybody talk about Fernando Tatis and what he was uh, acquired for? Does anybody talk about Trey Turner was acquired? Those are pretty bad deals, too. I don't see anybody talking about that. Those are just as bad, if not worse. Actually, the Tatis Jr. deal is about as bad as it gets because you got James Shields, who had was already declining at that point. Think about that. But it, but he, well, yeah, but Mike, I think I think you're doing recency and location bias. Like when the Trey Turner deal happened, I mean, San Diego got slaughtered for that deal. People were killing them at the time, saying, "How could you give up?" You know, or, or I'm forgetting what the deal. It was a three team deal. I forget that was a really weird yeah. deal. With it had the Rays involved, right. and it had the, those other teams got killed. Or San Diego, I think, gave up Turner and got killed for that one. And also, Chicago has gotten killed for that that Tatis deal. I mean, I, I think the the thing here is it's a recency bias, and that it just happened in this market with Kellenic. But I but I think I think the reason again, I think part of the reason those deals get looked at a little bit differently is because when you're a new GM and you've never been in, even in a front office before, and your first deal. I mean, listen, here, here's here's the elephant in the room that has to that has to be addressed with this whole thing. Does the Cano deal look different? Is it analyzed differently if Brody was not his former agent? And, and I have to be honest, I think I don't think it is, I do not think it is wrong to tie the two in because does Brody push for that deal as much if Cano is not his former agent or his former client? 
I think the deal is looked at. I'll say this. I'll be honest. I think if you replace Robinson Cano with, I'm trying to think of a guy like, I'm just throwing this out here. I'm not saying the deal could have happened. It's just for hypotheticals. If you, if you replace Robinson Cano with Dustin Pedroia, let's just say healthy Dustin Pedroia Mm -hmm. and Edwin Diaz. Right. Neither were clients of Brody. I think that deal is looked at 100% differently than it is about acquiring a former client at that price and then everything that happened with it of him basically being foisted into the three-hole all year. I think that when you look at it like that and the first deal happens and it's like, oh, I'm going to go get my former client, I'm going to give up a top prospect, I think in a lot of ways people have reason to look at Brody me skeptical. And then I think when you have a move like the Stroman deal where you go, huh, you're paying a year and a half for a guy when you're really maybe only going to compete for a year with him. That doesn't seem like the most sensical thing. Then you look at like the Broxton deals and stuff. Then you look at Wheeler being let out the door. And I think there are a lot of instances where you can look at it and say, hey, it looks like the guy running the Mets right now is – a little in over his head has never done this before. You, you now, can't blame them for passing on the Wheeler contract. I mean, he's just he's a high risk guy with those mechanics. I liked Wheeler. I would love to. But how is he? But, but here's what I don't. But here's what I I, I don't really get. So far in Philly, to be honest with you, I looked at the peripherals. They're not great. Striking out three well, batters I mean, for nine innings. Not, you know that's not sustainable. We'll see today. Maybe he strikes out fifteen today, and I look like a clown when this comes out. I mean, it's possible. But, I mean, but, Lowry, but that was a proper move, Lowry. You know, everybody criticized the Mets. Oh, you're going to go into the season with an unproven player like McNeil? And they get Lowry, who was a top 25 offensive player the year before. Uh, you could say, where's the doctors on the, uh, 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 you know, with the injury? Who knows uh, how that went? Uh, they were hedging their bets, and it was a two-year deal. It's loss of money. Uh, maybe, like you said, okay, because of the owners and because of the lack of uh, capital, you could have spent that better elsewhere. But at that time, if the Mets had went in with McNeil, the criticism would have been, well, now you're assuming that a guy who had a, a good six weeks is going to be your guy. That's exactly what they criticized them a lot because of the, the owners and finance well, for a long time. And here's, so you can't, you know, he, he, everybody smacks them around on both sides. You can't do that. You can't. You got to well, be consistent, and that's the whole thing. But, I'm not. I'm not saying but, that's you all the time. I'm giving the whole the whole talking point here. The whole talking. Well, point let me say. Can, can I say? Let me say this, Mike. Why, why do you think he gets a lot of heat on Lowry? Like certain signings don't work out. Listen, I did not have a problem with Lowry um, the, in the baseball move. I actually thought it was a, it was a good move. I mean, yes, if you look at back at it now and you could have the choice of him or LeMahieu again, it's not even a no-brainer. And but I remember when you I know why LeMahieu, at that time, before Brody was hired, I mentioned LeMahieu that summer. I got criticized. Well, he stinks, and he was. He was a below-league average hitter in Colorado. And, you know – very easily could have been the other way. That's all I'm saying. I interrupted you. I well, but here's the, here's the thing. You, you, I mean, you know the reason. Why does Brody catch so much heat for the Jed Lowry situation? It's a CA client. But people actually believe Correct. that he's been like – I've heard people say, and I know this is more fan garbage, the guy is not getting a commission on the back end for putting a CA client. No, you that's, know, that's, when that's, you know that's somebody, garbage. When you know somebody, when you know their character, when you know their makeup, when you have relationships in sports, you know this. You've covered the game a while now. It's very – just because you're a GM doesn't mean you pick up the phone. Matty Holt or Mike Silva is the GM of the Mets tomorrow. We pick up the phone. We may not get a call back from 29 teams. There's no guarantee that we're going to get a call back. Why? Because of the Mets GM? They don't know who we are. Or if we do get a call back, they're going to have their knives sharpened on us. It's like any other business. We forget that. We think because, well, they have this position – Immediately, they looked at a certain way. No way. You're going to try to go with where you know, and maybe that's short-sighted in the long run, but at the time, 
that's what it is. And I think anybody would have used their relationships that way, whether it be behind blue. Right. But the question there is when you're when, but, but this ties into what I said before, when you're an agent and you've never done this before, when this is your first go around at, at it and your first big moves are, well, I'm going to trade for my former client. I'm going to sign my former client. Which reliever am I going to sign? Although I've heard that was an Omar move uh, that does a familiar yeah, one, but it's like, Oh, we're, we're just going to bring back Familia, uh, who we had here before. You look at the moves and you just say, well, you're just signing all your former clients. I, I, I mean, even – I mean, to be honest, and, and again, you can say this fairly or unfairly, look at the guy they signed this offseason. I mean, it, it, who did they go with? They went with Waka. Where did Waka – who represented Waka? CAA. There's so many CAA connections, you know. And, and then the other one, I, I mean, to be honest, what was the first move? Now, this one I have no problem with. But what was the first Brody's other first big move when he came in? He signed his former client to an extension. So if you look at a lot of the tea leaves, it's like, well, all the big moves the Mets make are basically his former clients. And most of them have not worked out except for DeGrom. And, and look, Batances, that deal, we'll see how that works out. He's pitching better. That, not every GM could work that deal out. That was a complicated deal. I think there's advantages to having uh, an agent on that. But what was what now, was so complicated? What was so complicated well, about he had that? The option. He wasn't sold on the team. He went in there and he got the job job done. He went to the guy's office and he said, "I'm not leaving until I get this player away." That's the mindset. I'm not sure you have that. The last time you had that was Omar Manaya, and I'll tell you what: Omar Manaya did a lousy job because Omar Manaya wasn't a GM. He didn't know how to run an organization, but he wasn't bad at talent evaluation. And he's back, even as awkward as that is. And normally that's, that's the equivalent. Omar being back is like bringing Isaiah Thomas back to the Knicks as a talent evaluator, even though he would be a good one. But it's just awkward. But Omar's handled it well. And his issue was the people underneath him undermining him. He wasn't a bad GM in all aspects. I think that they look back on that. And in some ways, um, Sandy Alderson benefited from him. Uh, you, you just have to look at this. He has the mindset that they they needed. They were. I don't think Sandy Alderson, because he was so conservative, maximized what could have been a, a different run post 2015. And I think he well, even admitted the Murphy situation was a bad move. Um, I understand the money. I understand the money. But right away he had a plan and he was very rigid. And I think having a GM that has a little bit more of a, a relationship with the Players Association and the agents. Uh, Sandy wasn't a beloved guy. You know this, Matt. I've heard enough. Not a loved guy around the league. Uh, not an easy guy to get. To, you, you you interacted with him. He was sarcastic and condescending. You don't. Think but he was respected by everybody. You could be respected. Doesn't mean you're going to get what you want out of that. Though, I can respect you because you know. Uh, you think I'm going to pick up the phone when I know the guy's an AH on the other side? I don't know about that. Sure, but. Uh... You know, I also heard from around the league from some people that when the Mets hired Brody and passed on Bloom, there were quite a few teams that were like, oh, okay, well, that's that's the best case scenario for us. So, you right. know, and I, I heard he I, also put New York with Boris. Remember that that narrative that was out there that that was dispelled pretty quickly. Well, 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 hold on, hold on, Mike. There's a difference between signing Boris draft clients and signing Boris's major league clients. Do you know who the, the one the clients are going are, are to have to involve the owner on that one? There's no way. It's do you know who? GM. Right, but do you know who the only the only Boris guy the Mets have had uh, uh, since Brody came in? And I think this might be in like the last five years. Do you know who it is? No, I don't. I I'd probably Carlos do Gomez. Huh. Huh. I mean, there's a difference. Maybe... There's a difference between drafting Boris clients and signing Boris clients, but, 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 
And the, assigning a major Boris client, not a Carlos Gomez at the end of his career, involves ownership without a doubt. Now, now, I, uh, now, now, the one thing I will say in all this, because cause if I don't say this, then, then, it's, then it's me being hypocritical. The one thing that needs to be said in all this is Jeff Wilpon is basically the GM of this team, and he runs things behind the show. So the the one thing that that Brody does get a little bit of a pass on is Jeff is the the G, the real GM of this team. So it, ultimately, at the end of the day, like I brought up Boston before, um, where I said you know like um, Hein Bloom had to trade uh, Mookie Betts. Nothing happens without Jeff, and Jeff has his fingers over almost everything in the organization. Now, having said that, I do not give a Brody a pass on that because Brody knew what he was getting into because he has worked so many deals with Jeff that he knows how involved Jeff is and how Jeff likes to basically play GM. So, yes, you can't have any discussion about what happens with the Mets and the moves they make without talking about uh, the Wilpons, but – Brody also should have known better than anybody because of how many deals he's done with Jeff that Jeff, like I said, likes to play GM. So then on that point, you have a new owner coming in, and we'll, we'll, we'll tie it together on this because I want to hear your thoughts. New owner come in. We don't know if it's A-Rod. We don't know if it's Cohen. Maybe the guy's down in Philly. Um, who knows? I mean, you hear all sorts of different things. I, all I ask is that the owner comes in with some cash flow, takes a step back, similar to what you said uh, with Brody. Maybe, maybe Brody should have taken a slight step back. Let's see what you got. You have here because not everything's bad here. You know, coming in and either doing one way, which is to get the front pages and sign a bunch of guys, which I don't think would happen with the kind of losses that they're facing in the next four years, at least reported. Um, what do you do? So if you're, if you, who cares who the owner is? Let's assume that they meet the criteria of a sensible owner. What do you think the direction now is for the next four years? Because if if it's to fire Brody, tear it up, and start over. Again, now, you know, what do I need Steve Cohen to do that? I could have the Wilpons do that. Obviously, I need the cash flow, but to me, that's foolish. Just as foolish it would be just to sign people flippantly just because I want to get the front pages, which don't be surprised if a Cohen comes in, there's a guy with a big ego. Don't think you're going to get all of a sudden uh, Red Sox 2004 here. You might have other issues. Same with A-Rod. New owners are going to want to make a, a name for themselves. How do you think that – what's the sensible, what's the right direction to go if you're running the Mets now going forward? Well, I'll say this in terms of because because I'm sure you're tying this into Brody too. Is a lot with Brody. I think seems to do do the Mets make or miss the playoffs this year? Um, because if the Mets miss the playoffs in an eight out of fifteen team league, um, he has this a very hard sell. I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody should count this year for anybody. Mike, if you can't get in out of eight out of fifteen this year, I mean. It's going to be all jumbled up. I agree. It's kind of a bad bar to me, but with what happened with the opt-outs and you don't know what the, the scheduling is a little off, I have a hard time, even with the positive, giving a lot of credit or one way or the other. I think this is almost like extended spring training. That's me, but okay. Now, ahead. I understand. I, I understand. What, I actually think that's a very fair way to look at it, but when, you're, when you've done so much to win now like Brody and you don't win mm-hmm. – I think that puts you in a very tough spot. Um, he's on, what he's I think, on the hot seat day one, that's for sure. Yes, yes. Um, it, it, so what do I think the, the – that's a good question. The prudent move for the Mets guy is. Um, well, whoever it is is going to have to sign somebody because basically, like, I mean, if you just look on Twitter, 
I mean, the way Steve Cohen is being treated, uh, it, 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 if like if he comes in and it's just like, you know what, we're going to rebuild this. The, like like the fans, I, I think the, oh, wow. like literally the moment he signs, they're going to want him to say, oh, yeah, and I just signed JT Riamuto for 400 million, baby. Like they're going to want like, you know, that's some you uh, trouble. And that's right. You, and that's my point. That's but but there it. is I do think there's going to be that pressure that whoever the new Mets guy is has to make some major signing this offseason. Um, I agree. Well, JT Realmuto, you heard it here first. You could go back to this thing. Then you could give me your make culpa on Twitter when it happens. There you go. Wait, when did I? But but I. Why would I give you a make culpa for something that I said? I think I. When I've Brody always thought JT. When Brody wins a World Series here in the next five years, that's when you'll give me your make culpa on Twitter. Sure, if Brody wins a World Series, I, I have a lot of egg on my face. Uh, so if he does, I, I will glad. But uh, on the flip side, if he does not, which I think the odds are better that he does not, I expect to meet Culver from you about the Brody Van Wagner era. But so he, but, but here, so here's where I look at the Mets, and this is where I, I, I think they're 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 a very interesting spot. I had said for a long time that the Mets window was closing. Now I said this under the assumption the Will Ponds were still the owners because if you look at it. After this season, going into next year, um, I believe it's all three of them. Syndergaard is a free agent after next year. Conforto is a free agent after next year. Mass is a free agent after next year. The Mets do not have a catcher in place unless you want to go with Nito. And Nito actually looks good, but I don't think he's an everyday starter. Interesting. So Catching what is going to be interesting because it's not an offensive position, and I think long-term, if you don't get real Muto – you probably have to go defense-oriented and build your offense around it. But go ahead. So my point is the the Mets – my thought was always that the reason – I always looked at it and said the Mets had a window up until – with the way they went, with the trying to go for it. Now, I don't agree with the way Brody did with it. I think they could have done it differently. But I thought that the Mets, if they went for it, their window was through next year because that's when all the guys were under contract uh, and relatively cheap. The issue is after next season, you start looking. Michael Conforto, even for for all of his flaws, which he, you know, he can be a streaky hitter at times, I understand – the, the whole thing about he's not clutch, but he, he's a very good hitter. I, Michael Conforto does not get enough love from, from Mets fans, not that, honestly. Not that opinion. far off from Bryce Harper. Not that far off from Bryce Harper who got a 10-year deal. He, if you really he, he's a very, Michael Conforto is going to get paid. So suddenly you're going to have a guy who was not making that much who's suddenly going to be a 15 to $20 million player. Then you start looking at Syndergaard. Syndergaard is going to get paid. Like, the, 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 you know, maybe – Maybe Syndergaard is not the ace that everybody thought he was, which is, you know, hey, that happens. It's like, but like, what is what is Syndergaard at his worst? A number three at his worst? Noah Syndergaard is going to get paid by somebody who says, we'll get him out of New York, we'll get him here, we'll get his head on straight, and everything will be good. So Noah Syndergaard is going to get paid if the Mets want to keep him. Then you look at a guy, Mats, I Mats, I have no clue what is going on. Because, I, I, I mean, last night – I was watching that. I was flipping between that and the Yankee game. Granted, they, they hit some balls a little bit hard, and the Phillies lineup is inconsistent. But like, I have no idea what's going on there because Mats is not this bad. Um, even I can say that as someone who's critical of Mats. Like, Mats does not stink, but I have no idea what's going on right now that he can't get anybody out. I don't know if it's in his head. I don't know if it's Hefner is trying something with him that doesn't work, although it seemed to work last night. The, the issue was – 
you, you can't walk McCutcheon there. I mean, McCutcheon, nope. McCutcheon's like an automatic out. You can't walk that guy on three two. So you gotta. He, I know he tried to challenge him with the fastball and he missed, but like, yeah. He, he, but I have no idea what's going on there, and I don't know what his long term future is. But the whole point is, and then the year after that, I believe the year after that, Lugo's a free agent. Um, is Lugo going to stay here when he's made it clear he wants to be a starter? Now, maybe next year the Mets say, all right, Seth, here's your chance. But, I mean, literally they just had somebody go down and they said, all right, we're going with Gazelman. I mean, if a guy wants to start in an organization, we'll give him the chance. Like, I, I, I just find it hard to believe he's going to want to, you know, that I, I find it hard to believe that's where a guy's going to stay um, long term. So then you have he could be out the door. Then you look at Nimmo. I mean, Nimmo's a fascinating case. Nimmo's a fascinating case because he gets on base all the time, but doesn't really hit for power. But like, so is he like a a lesser version of Nick Swisher? Like, I'm I'm trying to think of like like, and I say that like Nick Swisher was a good player for for quite a few years. A like, like, player, know, yeah. like, like, and I say that like Nick Swisher was a good player on those Yankee teams in the in the the '09s. Like, like I. I Brandon Nimmo is another guy. It's funny. I, I, I think Brandon Nimmo does not get the proper love from Mets fans. I mean, listen, we can talk about his 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 his, his hitting, his home runs, is all that. The guy gets on base forty five percent. I I said it last night. I was I was watching the game. Um, uh, and my mother's a big Mets fan, and I was watching it. And and I said this watching it that I always amazed watching Nimmo at that what happens and they brought this up on the broadcast that it's like teams never challenge him like Nimmo does not swing that much that I think but teams challenge like they you just watch these at bats and guys just miss the zone on him completely and I'm like he doesn't swing that much and he's not a homer threat it's just it's incredible that he how he gets on base I mean but anyway, so he's going to be – so I think the question is, that the Mets have to basically make is, and this is part of the problem where I, – I, and this is a Jeff problem. This is not a Brody problem because I'm assuming – I'm, I'm actually going to give Brody the benefit of the doubt on this one as an agent and assume that he knows, hey, Jeff, we should be locking up some of these guys. But all right, so if you're the new Mets owner – the Mets already have Cano's on the payroll at $20 million a year. Uh, you have DeGrom is on the payroll uh, at $20 million a year. Well, let's start looking at the other. Let's, let's, I'll, I'll, I'll throw you a bone here. Let's say they come in and the new guy says, all right, we're getting Rio Muto. I don't care. I'll pay him seven for 210 or something. I'll, 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 I'll break the mark a thing. Okay, so let's say they get Rio Muto. So suddenly the Mets have DeGrom, uh, uh, Cano, and Rio Muto on the payroll at, I'll just estimate, roughly $85 million, Okay, so. Let's assume the payroll's going up. Okay, well, what do you do with Conforto, who's going to want $20 million a year? What do you do with Syndergaard, who's going to want $20 million in a year or two? How do you start suddenly building that roster out where you suddenly start becoming very top-heavy in the sense that, let's say you say, all right, well, we want to re-sign Conforto. Okay, well, now you're at four players making $100 million. Well, we want to re-sign Syndergaard. Well, now you're at five players making $120 million. How do the Mets fill out kind of the rest of that roster uh, with some of the guys that they have? That's the questions that I think are going to be very prudent is the Mets have to kind of make the determination of are they keeping some of these guys? Are they not keeping? What are they? I mean, let's look at the rotation. I mean, there is a conceivable chance that right now the the only guy in this uh, – well, Peterson. I mean, if you look at it in a year or two, the the only guy who's under contract for the rotation beyond this uh, next season – are Peterson and DeGrom. 
I mean, that's yep. not like, like, like in, but DeGrom by that point is going to be, I think 34, which I mean, not saying he won't still be an elite pitcher, but DeGrom is he's out of the his back, years, back end of his prime. He's starting to get to the back end of his, of his back end of his nine. So I think the the question is basically is like the new owner is going to have to come in. He's going to have to make a call on the GM if things go south this year, but then he basically has to determine about what are we doing with this roster that we have now which we have some good pieces, but these guys are not cheap anymore. That guy, the guys I just mentioned, that your best reliever, Lugo, could be looking for his way out. I mean, hey, at the same time, Diaz. Diaz after, I believe, because this was Diaz, Diaz's first ARB year, uh, I believe. So Diaz in two years yeah, is a free agent. Years. So, like, so, so, yep. so the new agent is going to have to make a – or the new GM or owner is going to have to make a lot of tough calls on where does this franchise go – and who are the guys sticking around? Because the one thing the Mets have done, I think, a really bad job of, they should have signed or extended a lot of these guys. Now, I understand it takes two to tango. I, I do get that. But, like, this is where I look at the Wheeler situation, where I say the Mets screwed that up, and I don't think Brody handled it properly because Wheeler was open to resigning. Now, he wasn't going to take a discount. But if the Mets had gone to Wheeler, I think, and given him a fair like five for eighty-five deal or something like something like that, I think there's a chance he possibly takes that. I mean, I don't think Wheeler. Talking to people around the league, I don't think Wheeler thought he was getting a hundred million. I think once he got that, it was oh my god, I'm taking that. But like, I don't think yeah, Wheeler necessarily. So I think if the Mets had maybe jumped on it earlier, could they have gotten Wheeler for five for eighty-five? I think that was a. Um, they might have been I able to get him a three-year deal. They might have been able. Um, to I think he wanted. I think. I think. I think he wants. Is what he was. I looked at. I think he's a Voldy in that mid, but he probably wanted a four eighty. Probably right, four eighty on that. I looked at Wheeler and said. I said this. I looked at Evaldi and said that's the baseline. So if Evaldi got four for sixty-eight, Wheeler was at least getting four for more than that. That's why I said I think if you did like five for eighty-five, but the Mets have not done a good job of locking up their 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 you know, their young talent. So I think that's kind of going to be the thing is that the next owner is going to basically have to decide, all right, who are the guys here that we're going to try and build around the next real Mets winner? Um, assuming everything goes right. And who are the guys that we're not? Because if not, like if you're not going to resign Conforto, well, then you have to make the tough call of, would you rather like, this is like the, the Mookie Betts situation. Like, let's say, you know, you're not going to resign Conforto. Let's say the Mets are just like, you know what? He's going to cost too much. We want to go in a different direction. Well, then you run into the thing of, do you just hold on to him and get the third-round draft pick like the Mets did this year with Wheeler? Or do you try and trade him a year in advance to a team that can maybe re-sign him and say, you know what, we'd rather get the, we'd rather get the better players for a player we're not going to re-sign. So those are – I think the new owner is going to have some very interesting questions about how do you start building this team out now that – all the guys that used to be cheap and that you could build around are no longer going to be cheap or are no longer going to be here. Fun spirited debate. So Matt, uh, NBC sports regional network, my teams have anything you got uh, for the listeners to know about things you got coming up, uh, what have you before we uh, wrap up here? Yeah, I would say uh, it, I mean, this is all Met fans, but if you ever, uh, if you live in the Philly area or if you live in the DC, ever want to watch the game on NBC sports, we have a great app. Uh, you know, very and easy way to watch the game. NBC. You can watch. You can, yes. If, that's what I'm saying. If you don't have SNY, you're in the Philly region or in the DC region. Uh, you can watch there if you like watching the Cubs, the White Sox. I think a very clean app, nice to you know, uh, easy to stream the game on. So uh, you know, the, that's uh, 
that's my plug for, for you know, the uh, NBC Martins. It will be fun. We'll continue the debate on Twitter. We'll have you on again. Thanks so much. You were very generous on a Sunday. I know it's a long segment, but it was fun. Thanks, Matt. We'll talk again soon, my friend. All right? Thanks for having me, Mike. Have a nice day. That's Matty Holt, NBC Sports Regional Network, former beat reporter for the Mets. Very long situation. Very long uh, conversation. I thought it was fun. Uh, always like to have fun. And, and it's more polite than people thought. I know I saw people on Twitter act like we're going to yell and scream. That's not how I do things here. Debate is good. People saying opposite of me is good. All right, we'll wrap up. I know we've gone very long. We'll wrap up. Quick wrap up right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, final thoughts. Uh, look, uh, always enjoy a good debate. And look, some of the feedback I've gotten on this program has been that I always bring guys on or guests on that are you know, pretty much the same thought process. Not all the time. And lately with Mancuso and his thoughts on the uh, league restarting amidst the pandemic and now Ewald, I am trying to get those who have a different opinion than what I spew on here to give the balance out there. And we'll continue to try to do that. And uh, it could be very friendly. I mean, sometimes, you know, obviously Matt and I go at it on Twitter. Nothing personal. I don't agree with him. Uh, As I'm recording this, I see he's going, uh, you know, almost like he's going off having some fun about the Mets getting swept by the Phillies. Look, he has his opinion. He's been consistent about how he feels about rebuilding and the Mets' position uh, where they were when Brody Van Wagenen took over and what have you. And I have mine. And I still believe whoever the ownership group is, and there's a lot of thought that A-Rod is the favorite, we'll see if that becomes a good thing or a bad thing, that when they come in, things are just going to be torn up and start over, and that's just not smart. That's not smart for anybody to do. Just like Matt said, maybe Brody should have taken a step back that first six months, taking the job with his uh, prospects. He decided to be a little bit more aggressive, obviously uh, relying, I think, on Omar Manaya a lot. I think Omar had a lot to do with a lot of what you saw there in those early days. Um, same thing goes for an owner. Take a step back. See what you have. The Mets have worked hard over the last couple of years to you know, rebuild their analytics department, rebuild their farm system. Uh, Baseball America seems to think they're improving. They're up to, what, number 20, if that matters to you guys. It was just recently talked about over on Mets blog. They pointed it out. Um, Don't go crazy about results this year. I know, again, that's different than what I normally say. This is going to be wacky. You're going to see a wacky team make the playoffs. I think you're going to see wacky results in the playoffs. I do not think in the history of baseball the results in this season will go down as a banner year. And I don't know if anybody is going to take them and say, well, that was the year it's so-and-so turned it around. Uh, a year to remember. It's not going to be the Royals in 2015 or, uh, you know, the Phillies look back at their 1980 championship or their 2008 championship. It won't be like the 86 Mets. It won't be like the 96 Yankees. It's just not. I'm sorry. So use the season as a chance to win, have fun, compete, you know, almost like a tournament. But it's really about what is the best position to be in for 2021. New ownership. 
Hopefully Brody's still in his team, still at the helm, and you have a lot of answers about some of the players that are on the roster now that can make up the 2020-21 Mets with a better starting rotation or healthier starting rotation, I should say. Because at the very least, you have one option, high-end option coming back, hopefully with uh, Syndergaard coming back from Tommy John and then potentially re-signing Stroman if that's something that's even on the table. So, you know, we'll talk more about that. All right, we're out of time. I want to thank Matt Eholt for uh, joining me. You can check out Matt on Twitter, at Matt Eholt. Great debate on Twitter. Go follow him on Twitter. And uh, the NBC Sports uh, Regional Network app, My Team's app. You could get the Mets on there, too. So check out the NBC Sports app if you're uh, at a market and want to watch some Mets baseball. Of course, you could check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me personally, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy your Sunday. We'll be back with another edition of the podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.